like the but he's not the boss right like he would be christopher walken if he was tony soprano but i did not know he was in it i was so excited to see tony soprano in this movie is that how do you think that's how tony soprano talks tony soprano yeah that's exactly how he talks i don't know what you're talking about i'll have to watch the show then i guess Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon, and I finally watched True Romance. And today we have a very special guest, Mint from Mint Salad Saw. Hi, Mint. Hello, how are you? We are good. Uh, we were going to do this movie. Um, we've It's been in like the, the works, uh, the woodworks for a while. Um, and then... When we reached out to you, you said reach back out to you at the end of October. Here we are. And then uh, you seem like you didn't really have a preference. So I was like, hey, we have this movie coming up. Um, and it was a big hit back when it first came out. So, uh, yeah, and we did it. So I want to get like, yeah. what were your overall thoughts on the film? So um, watching this, like for the like the first 10 minutes, I was like, all right, I can already tell. I I want to see like w- how the romance progresses. So like the like the like the very early part where it's like talking about like they're getting together. I'm just thinking like okay, something bad is obviously going to happen because I think this movie is ironically titled and uh yeah, that was just like honestly my first impressions going into the movie. Yeah, I was, I was, I didn't quite know what I was getting myself into. Um, I watched it with my wife and my sister-in-laws and uh, we were, I was like, yeah. And, and then the first sex scene happened and we were all watching it. And then um, they, they go into Drexel's place and they turn to me and they're like, I hate this movie. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I love this movie so far. I was like, it kind of turns the the aspect of romantic comedies on its head into like this drama crime thing. Um, And I, I can see easily how this film is for some people and just not for some people. Right. I honestly was about to think, uh, this is not for me. And then as soon, as soon as some guns were whipped out and some violence started to commit, I was like, all right, well I'm back in. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think the title is a little bit of like a play on, on what it's going for. I um, I think so. I saw this, I don't know, years back. It I don't even remember, and it kind of. I I think I watched it a little too young, maybe to appreciate it. Um, so I was excited to redo it. There's like a lot of the movies on here that we've been choosing lately were ones where I've seen it, but I don't remember it. There's also a lot of movies on here and where you just you have watched it way too young. Well, yeah, for sure. I don't know how young I was for this. I um but I really liked it this time. I um I found, you know, in the beginning when you have the romance when it just happens so quickly, I'm kind of it's it I think it's one of the reasons this movie works or not for you is if if you can kind of buy into that, like how quickly they sort of fall for each other. But I think the the script is written well enough that you're like, 
you know, he's kind of a loner. She is from a different part of the country and like put in this horrible situation. And so like they both sort of fall for each other very quickly. And I think, you know, in a lot of like in life in general, you'll have one person fall for another and that person doesn't fall as fast. And so then like things don't work out. And and in this, it's just like kind of this kismet where they both fall for each other quickly. They're both kind of like hopeless romantics. And it's like, and now let's just get some guns involved for the rest of this like wild story. And so like the love, the love aspect of it, like I have other problems with like like the script, the way it's kind of like too cutely written. But like that to me, I think worked. And then overall that makes the movie work. You got to get the romance out of the way so you can get to the true part. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, when they started to uh, do the tattoos of each other's names, I was like cringing at that part because at that part, I was like, oh, wow, this is like really they're really like it's really pa- playing up the romance part of it. Yeah, I, I, for me, that didn't bother me as much as when they were like, hey, let's get married right away. Um, and the, you know, it's kind of sometimes hard to tell how much time uh, has passed in a movie. And so when they, you know, he learns about her past and her her um, her moving from Alabama. Tallahassee. I don't know. I said Alabama because her name's Alabama. Uh, right. <laughs> from yeah, from her 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 everything to hey, let's get married to where he's like, oh, about your pimp. Like that's like two days. Like, and I'm like, no. But yeah, that's like so fast. Uh, well, and at least they got married first and then got the tattoos too, right? Like that's I think the proper order. Yeah. I mean, you could still get a divorce. Like if all things considered, they don't work out. Like, uh, I they just seem like both of them, and I really like how the movie like dumps this exposition out, and it's like really clever and like kind of just like hands me the information as I need it. Is uh, they're both like trying to rush things, and she's trying to like leave and start new life yeah. all the time and he's just trying to like rush things along like okay i can get married now okay i can do love now okay i can do this cool little life now okay what's next and i think that's ultimately uh the downfall of both of them in this movie yeah i mean it, it, kind of what you say it's like we get a little bit of his backstory when we meet his dad and we kind of figure out what has happened to him in his life that has gotten him to this point um but i i just think i don't know like everything from the the very very beginning and and i can't wait till we get into it but we'll get into it soon but um i was like oh he's living like my dream life from like if i was like 20 years old I'm like working at a comic book store going to watch like three movies in a row like you know whatever um And then it's like, oh, but he is really sad. And then he wants this. He wants this like romantic connection with someone. But he's so weird that it's like, who is he going to get it from? It's going to be another weird chick. And and, uh, I really like how all of the movie's events start from his boss. Just try to be nice to him. 
Well, I, I love too that she's like telling him this, like he's going to be bad. And he's like, what? Why would I be? This is like the best night I've ever had. Like, why, yeah. would I, why could I possibly be mad about this? And what's well, funny too is like it, it starts out with him as this loser. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's just this sad set guy. He can't get a girl. He works at like a comic book store in Detroit. It's it's winter. Like, it's just like, it doesn't seem like, and although I will say his apartment, being able to walk out and just sit on a billboard, I thought was cool. That was pretty but, cool. But then once they get married, he's like, all right, I have to go kill this pimp. And you're like, what? Like, who are you? <laughs> but see, on the reverse of that, though, like Mint was saying, she's divulging all this information like she's a prostitute his boss hired her for him and you think he's going to be mad on the reverse of that is when he says hey i killed your pimp you think she's going to be mad and then she's like oh that's the best thing anyone has ever done for me so it's a it's a total reversal where they're both equally nuts you know yeah as as soon as i saw her like oh yeah that was so romantic i was like this chick is nuts and she's gonna commit she's gonna do a lot more crazy stuff in the future of this movie i cannot wait it's it's well, kind of like a bonnie and clyde without the like the bank robberies well and also too like i think mint pointed out because i was gonna say this and it was, it was hard to remember but when he kills drexel and he comes back and tells her she uses the word that's so romantic of you sort of lead like foreshadowing that like the romance of this movie is going to lead to like so many more deaths <laughs> um i don't know if you guys want to get couple <laughs> i think we've covered the beginning mostly but i did i was like of two minds of like do they do the elvis stuff too much not enough is it just right like because I Dude, watched it over several nights. When I was watching the credits roll up and I was reading all of these names, I was just like, there's no way that Gary Oldman, Samuel L. Jackson, Val Kilmer, Christian Slater, Dennis Hopper are all going to have like their moment to shine. And a few of them, as we know, were in the movie so fleetingly, but they were like, oh my, it was perfect for what they were in, I thought. Yeah, like Samuel L. Jackson's uh, performance, like just the brief amount that he's in, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, here he is. Oh, I love him here. Perfectly well, he's also cast. always, he always gets killed off in Tarantino movies too. Like it just gets hired to get killed. And I, I, but I do like that he's willing to just do the small parts. And that part is so tiny that is, it is literally just in there. So, you know, Drexel is a bad guy and like how bad of a bad guy he is. That's the only point of him being in there. It's just like to establish this other character. And um, but it is it is good. After the whole movie ended and I was watching the end credits and it was like Val Kilmer. I was like, wait, Val Kilmer wasn't in this movie. But he was Elvis, which is awesome. Ooh, another was... actor that was like hard to spot that I didn't know who it was. Gary Oldman. Yeah, well, always. I, and I've seen him like that before, and I've always wondered what movie that was of him in, and now I know. He looks so uh, different compared to the other ones that he's in. Like Commissioner Gordon in Batman. <laughs> Batman. His character kind of plays off of like his, his what is it, David? His Fifth Element character? Um, uh, Maybe. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, he just, he's like such a chameleon that like, I don't know. This is, I think pretty much different than anything else but it is kind of one of his more like eccentric roles 
I um I was reading that he met with Tony Scott and he was like, I did not have time to read the script. And Tony Scott was like, basically, you're a white guy that thinks he's black and you're a killer pimp. And and uh, <laughs> uh, he just was like, OK, I'll do it. <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds great. And then did, he, did he, he go out and get the dreads or those were all he said those were all like his choices that he just kept texting Tony Scott. Like, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? Can and I have one like, eye. I need one eye. For some yeah, and then they just brought it all together and um it's probably not a character you could have like now people would have more of a problem with it but like i don't know it was um it's probably like it's one of the more iconic characters in this movie like it's just it it's so it's so weird but then also just works so well yeah um so i think we can just start getting through it uh i mean we've talked enough really about the beginning i think we can probably just skip to when he decides he's going to go kill Drexel. And it's like the first time he has this sort of, sort of like, I don't know. It's like, it's not schizophrenic, but just this moment where he's envisioning Elvis talk to him in the bathroom. Like, Hey man, are you going to really let some guy live that has done that to your girl? And it's like, I don't even know if he has done anything to her yet. And it's kind of like, you're like, Oh, this is a bad idea. You should not do, you should not go here. And then, when he gets there, Drexel's like, oh, I, basically he's like, I'm, I would have never let her leave. Like, I would have chased after her. Before we get there, we have to talk about the opening scene where he's like, look, I'm not gay, but if there was a guy who got a fuck, I'd fuck Elvis. <laughs> so uh, we both have something in common. We both fuck Elvis. Uh, my favorite thing about the Elvis thing is like just how much it's like sprinkled in throughout the movie. It's just like little things here and there, like an Elvis statue or like you know elvis literally mentions of elvis i just like how much elvis is present in this movie even his glasses right like the glasses yeah. that christian slater's wearing the whole time i'm actually like i have the like the cast list up and i like the video is playing and i can see it so yeah no i that's what i was saying of like i'm of two minds of if it's like is it subtle is it too much is it perfect and i think like in a movie like this everything's kind of over the top and it's you know, it's Tony Scott directed. I think it feels almost more Tarantino than that. Um, Definitely. Just because, like, you have all these people that he constantly wants to put in his movies. Um, the dialogue, although not as much, like, QT as, like, normal, is, like, there. Um, and it's just, like, this crazy, over-the-top, violent story. So You say that, but then it's like there you have a scene where that guy, that innocent man, is just reading the Elvis magazine, and Christian Slater comes in. He's like, hey, you know, uh, that's a great article, blah, blah, blah. He's like, you know, these really, like, fanatics about Elvis. And the guy looks at him like, hmm, you're one of those, buddy. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do know about them. I I do like the little tiny bits of, like, Tarantino that we get since he wrote this. uh, He wrote it. So I like... I just like the way that he writes and mm-hmm. also like you can see like oh yeah his common tropes like Mexican standoff there's a lot of that in this movie like there's a lot of tension building in this movie I was like actually really impressed with how like t- yeah. how tense everything gets to, to me the most tense one and I almost like was like I almost wanted to fast forward through it was when um, James Gandolfini has Alabama yeah and I couldn't remember how that I knew she survived because I'd seen it before, but I was like, I couldn't remember how it played out. And even though I knew she made it, I was like, D- get this scene over. 
Uh, Mint, have you ever uh, watched a Guy Ritchie film? Uh, I have not seen them. No? No. Okay, so in like all of his films, we did a Guy Ritchie month, and in all of his films, he basically sets it up where you have like two rival gangs or teams who set up different ploys against each other, and then there's always like this third background party. And by the end of the movie, all three of them collide. And I felt like this was Quentin Tarantino's play on a Guy Ritchie film where at the end, you know, the cops are coming in, and you know, it's a tense situation in the hotel room. But like, how is all that going to come to a head was probably the most suspenseful thing for me, at least. Yeah, I wasn't really predicting that either, honestly. Well, because I was like, wait, how do these like how do the gangsters know where this final thing is? And then they show up at, with Floyd's Brad Pitt. I was like, ah, there we go. There's a, that's how we figured it out. But I mean, that was like that was kind of the part you know, where I guess we're just skipping around. So it doesn't really matter. But like, you know, this whole movie sets off because he forgets his driver's license. Right. Which is is possible. But I was just like, oh, it's just this like one little thing what this movie hangs on. And then. The only reason the cops get involved is because of Elliot speeding. And then not only because he's speeding and he could have, he would have just gotten a ticket, right? Like that's what would have, he would have gotten a ticket probably. Yeah. Um, and instead he pulls out this Coke. He tries to give it to this woman he's with who just refuses, which I was like, seems like her. I don't know what she was thinking because she's just uh, like, he, no, this mm. this will be fine. I'm not going to handle it. No, you handle this as a cop's walking up. He's like, a jer- so- he's a jerk to her. What do you want her to do? I want her to hide the coke because that's a lot of jail time. Like, who cares? Like, how you've tre- uh, treated the woman in the past? You got to think about the freedom, the jail time that you now <laughs> don't. You don't have any freedom now. He's got jail for coke. When- yeah, like, why is she? Why is she with him? Like what? Like, like she's with him obviously for some purpose, and now that purpose is going to be ruined yeah. if she allows him to go to jail. And like, it's not as if she's going to get off scot. She is also in the car with Coke. Yeah, I really think that like she is with him because uh, he, like he, like he was the f- thing right after the pimpin' job that she had, the call girl job, and so she's like just going to stay with him because. What else? Where else is she gonna go? It's more so stability really, to be with yeah. Elliot. I think my favorite gag in the whole movie is when the coke blows up in his face, and then the cop walks up at that moment, and he turns, and he's just like, "Huh? <laughs> oh, hello, officer." <laughs> um. So let's, I do want to go back. I um to the scene where he goes to Drexel. Uh, I like a lot of the dialogue, especially when he's like, man, you already told me something. You know, if you were cool, you would you would have eaten some of the food. I would have known like, oh, man, I don't know what to expect from this guy. But you didn't eat the food. You're all tense. It's like your first time. And then there were tits and um, the, the TV behind you. And if you, you know, you weren't tense, you would have looked at them. And then, yeah. He's like, I, I re- saw that seven years ago and I've already eaten. I'm not hungry. I really like like how Drexel was able to uh, read Clarence so easily. Like, he was just like, oh, yeah, let me tell you what I know about you based off of you uh, existing and not being cool at all. And also, every action that you have is going to give me more information on who you are. And by the way, I now know your address. 
this freaking dummy? He shouldn't have gone there in the first place. Pull out the gun quicker, too. Oh, like, dude, yeah. you, Pull I, it out way quicker. The coolest thing, though, is just the lighting setup with that sh- swinging chandelier on how they kept using that as, like, whoever has the chandelier has the power, right? So, like, yeah. Gary, Gary Oldman held it in his face, and then he swung it, and the moment that Christian Slater caught it was like, fuck you, buddy. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. It's also like just like the lighting within the club that they were in was also really pretty sweet. It it did look like the most like <laughs> the most place in all of you know wherever that could have been like the cat house, right? It's it's a brick house on the edge of the city, and all the lights glowed red. I just thought it was like. So obvious. Like, how is that place not getting busted down like every week by cops? Right, like, exactly. Like, I guess they're they're probably paying people off because he's affiliated with the mob. But like, yeah, I um, I had questions about that too. So, uh, he he kills him and just decides to leave his driver's license there. I did like that he shot him in the dick, um, and then shot him in the head. I was like, when it happened, I was like, are you going to leave him alive or what do you? Oh, and then he killed him too. I was like, all right, that's good. I, I like the, uh, I really like, it. I really like the whole plot point of the, him taking the Coke was by accident. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, oh, I want to go back too. So, you know, uh, Alabama has just married Clarence. She really knows nothing about him except he loves Elvis and movies and he's like, I need to know where your pimp is. I'm going to go get your clothes. And she's like, I really don't want you. That's pretty dangerous. And he's like, no, no, you have to do it. You have to do it. Finally, she does it. And I'm just like, she has to think like, oh, well, he's dead. That's great. My husband's like, there's no way he's coming out of this alive. Like, I know who Drexel is. Yeah. Like, it just feels like the fact that she did it. She Like, I don't know why she she like, I, I think she should have protested more. Like, you really yeah. can't go there. Well, she didn't come off as too smart in the beginning, and I felt like she kind of gained that respect as the movie went on. You know, like, she became more more wise. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think, like, both of them, I was, you know, I was thinking earlier, you know how there's, like, the, the manic pixie dream girl, and it kind of felt like she was, like, playing that a little bit, which is funny for, like, a true romance movie. But then I'm like, do they really establish either of these characters in like the two hours that we have, or is this just like, it's a shooting movie, you know, it's a movie where people get shot up. Like it's a, I think it's like a fun movie, but it's like, I still, besides him loving Elvis and like, I don't, I barely know anything about her. Um, that like, I don't know that it was like, could they have been developed a little bit better? But I mean, also like, I think they were developed enough for what the movie was going for, which is, is fine. But I was like, what is like, what is she thinking? Like, who is this person? That's true. I, one I wondered many times like she she tells herself that she's like a she, uh, she says that she's a call girl and I'm guessing she's lying for how long she's been involved with the pimp for she says like four days but I suspect right. it's longer so since she's willing to lie is she willing to lie about other things as well like like what is she lying about specifically well, and yeah, like in the beginning, how much in love was she with him or was she like using him to get away? Yeah. And then when and then when he actually killed Drexel, um, was it to what like did that actually make her like, oh, I now I now love you because you've done this thing for me, like a sort of a conditional love. Like 
So I could buy that. I could buy that because up to the point where she's like, yeah, you really shouldn't go to him. He's dangerous. It's like, okay, did he, did she marry him? And then if he dies, she still gets everything legally, right? Like they're married. What? So get what? What does this guy have? Comic books? Hey. <laughs> I mean, the car she can get out of town. Yeah, uh, that's, that's about. True. That's true. But then, like you said, maybe because she's like, oh, I love you. And he's like, I don't, you know, they're on the billboard. He's, she's like, oh, I love you. And and he's like, well, if I tell you I love you and it's not real, then blah, 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 blah. Right. Maybe at that point it isn't real for her. And maybe it's real for him. But then when he kills Drexel, comes back and is like, I killed your fucking pimp. And she's like, that's really romantic of you. Then maybe that's the moment where they're, they meet each other in love. I hadn't considered that. Hmm. Um, you know, I really think that, like, he, he, I don't think he's had that much love just at all before this movie, which is why he's so eager to go with her. I mean, to, like, get with her, rather. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. He yeah. gives me that vibe. It's the personality type. Well, when you when you meet his dad, which we're about to talk about now, but when you meet his dad, you really get the sense that his um, absence of love it really comes from his upbringing. Not his. so much. I don't think man. When you talk about that, you're not talking about like like lovers or like girlfriends, right? You're talking about like parental love, like yeah, just like any any love in like general like yeah. it could be like he, he doesn't seem the type of person to have that many friends and definitely not like any girlfriends that much and he serves uh based on the interactions between him and his dad it seems like he's always looking for his dad's approval yeah yeah big time even though like his dad was a drunk and he's like you know i didn't bother you even though i needed you he's like now i i need you, you know what's funny is so when he goes to his dad and he tells him like, Hey, I need you to ask your buddies on the force. Like if they've heard anything, I was like, Oh, so this is how he, this is how he fucks up by his dad asks. There's a mole in the forest and he gets caught. And then when Christopher Walken comes, he's like, your fucking stupid son left his driver's license. There was like, Oh, okay. Like that's, I guess at least a little better. Um, in a dead pimp's hand. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the scene of the movie. So they find out that nothing, that no one knew anything, or at least the cops don't know anything. But that's because the gangsters got there first and grabbed the ID and they're going to take care of it because they want their coke back. So Clarence and Alabama leave. And then we meet Michael Rappaport. We don't really know why. And then Walken comes in and has that conversation with Hopper. And I think that is like, one of my favorite scenes it's probably like most people's favorite scene just because like it's two really great actors but also there's this kind of subtle part in it where hopper i think does a great job of like he sort of he's like oh i'm gonna die they're gonna torture me i cannot give my son up which ends up not mattering because it was on the fridge i can't give my son up so he tells this whole kind of racist story about Sicilians and the Moors because he knows it's going to piss this guy off enough to just kill him, which it does. Yeah. And he like, he, after he says it, he like, first of all, he asks for the cigarette. Then 
after walken walks up like walks away and like calls him a cantaloupe after he called him an eggplant <laughs> he takes like that one last drag because he knows what's about to happen i just think like it's such a well acted scene yeah that scene i was just like looking at this dad like looking at the screen just like what you want to get yourself killed like what like i also really like the smile talking on the oh man what was that guy's name again uh he was a sicilian oh him yeah uh yeah that guy he i applaud his smile talking abilities so he's like yeah, haha, yeah, we're friendly. I'm calling you friend. Hey, I just met you. And like it definitely fooled me. I honestly was like, "Oh, is he friendly?" But you had a gun up to you had like a you had you had a bunch of guns waving around earlier. Uh I'm kind of I'm kind of a uh, kind of perplexed as to whether you're like nice to him or not. And then when the gun comes, I'm like, "Okay, I get it now." I get it. I get what he's doing. He's doing a bit. He's just trying to be nice. But then he got angered. And so I liked that part a lot. I like that James Gandolfini is just playing Tony Soprano in this. Um, Like the, but he's not the boss, right? Like he would be Christopher Walken if he was Tony Soprano. But I did not know he was in it. I was so excited to see Tony Soprano in this movie. Is that how? To, do you think that's how Tony Soprano talks? Tony Soprano. Yeah, that's exactly how he talks. I don't know what you're talking about. I'll have to watch the show then, I guess. Yeah. Um, it is an accent, though, because watching um, James Gandolfini play Tony Soprano for so long in The Sopranos, you just think that's the way he talks. And then watching him in other stuff, it's like, oh, he's putting on an accent for however long that show ran for. Yeah. And that is my James Gandolfini pivot. So I haven't I seen The Sopranos. It. You haven't seen The Sopranos? I mean, no, I, haven't. I, I just watched it recently because I was like, I got to watch The Sopranos, I guess, because so many people were like, oh, it's amazing. It's really only amazing. And it's amazing, but only to like season four. And then it really falls off the last couple of seasons. That's my review. That's your hot note. take? It's my hot take. Is it a hot take? Yeah, I think I think Sopranos is beloved by everyone. So that's a big uh, that's a big commitment if you're gonna go if you're gonna watch the Sopranos um, at this point at least. <laughs> so they head to L.A. There's that one call to uh, I love when we're introduced. Well, they keep we keep hearing about Dickie's roommate Floyd. So when the reveal when it's Brad Pitt, like I think that plays better now, right? Like yeah. I don't know if you guys enjoyed that more, like when that happened, no one knew who Brad Pitt was, but it's like, he does a great job in it, but watching it years later, seeing like, Oh shit, it's Brad Pitt. Like that's kind of like one of the fun aspects of like going back and watching movies like this with like a ton of random people. In I think, it. I think everyone knew who Brad Pitt was in 1993. I think he'd done just done like Thumb and Louise. Like, no, I don't think he was really huge. Nah, he's not as big as today. It's true. I really liked seeing him smoking in this movie. I think it was a very aesthetically pleading choice. Him with the long hair. Yeah. 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 He's a good and then, smoker. And then he kept offering. He's like, you want to hit? <laughs> to the I really think that's genius. His way of like deflecting the... Uh, 
I couldn't tell if it was like him lying to the to the gangsters or not, but like he kept changing the location of these guys. Like the two groups came to him. It's like, where is he? Where are they? And he's like, oh yeah, I know where they're at. They're over here. And then like another group comes by. Oh, they're at a different hotel. And it's like, okay, when, you exactly. You when, you did not die during both of those times, so you did a good <laughs> job. When he said to to James Gandolfini, they're at the Safari Motel, and then you see that it's called the Safari Inn. I thought that was enough difference for them to never find them. Like, oh, did he purposely change the name by like a little bit to like throw them off? But he found them anyway, so I guess it didn't really matter. I was sure, though, there was that one point where Brad Pitt was going to get his head blown off, and that never happened. So, Do you so think they killed tension. him when they left? It, I think that's up for debate. I think, like, in real life, they probably would, because, right, you're leaving a witness. Obviously, you guys are bad guys. But also, he's so drugged out that it's probably, like, unnecessary. But I just love, like... I love it more him surviving the whole time and just just being high, surviving, giving his friends up every single time or like not, you know, not really like, I don't know, all of that like makes me laugh each time he's on screen. Um, so they get out there. Michael Rappaport uh, is a horrible actor who somehow gets a role, though. Um, <laughs> that scene where he's in front of the casting director. And he's he's driving. He's mime driving. Oh my god! I what was... is that guy doing on the hood? Get him off of the hood! <laughs> I thought it was perfect. I thought it was like you know he deserves this role in the movie, and I'm glad that he does get the role within the movie itself. <laughs> I I was a a casting director assistant for for a couple of years, and I can't tell you how many times we had. Just that kind of bad. I was a casting assistant in LA and I was a casting assistant in Atlanta. And I can't tell you how many times we've had people like that. And it is, you try to keep a professional face, obviously, but, but it is the most hilarious thing. He got the role though. I, I don't know how he got the role. <laughs> Maybe they're doing a slack film. Well, it was hmm. no, so it was like a, it, he was going to be working with uh, Captain Kirk. So like maybe they just wanted, you know, no one else could be that good of an actor if you're going to be on there. You know what I mean? That's true. Uh, oh, wh- one thing, a couple things I didn't mention, uh, but the main thing is, so Alabama just gives the dad a tongue kiss <laughs> when they leave. Yeah. And he's like, son of a bitch, she does taste like a peach. What is that? What, why was that in there? I was like, I honestly, at this point, I was, I was like, before she kissed the dad, full on made out with them. I was like, okay, uh, I'm kind of, I get it, she's monogamous, so she's no longer, like, a whore. And then, like, as soon as she gives, like, the tongue kiss, I'm like, you bitch! <laughs> that was not, that's not, like, a, a family-friendly tongue kiss. You don't just kiss your father-in-law in the mouth like that. Also, you don't, you don't call your father-in-law daddy every nine seconds. Yeah, daddy-in-law is that's what you call That's an Alabama him. thing. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a southern thing. Uh, but also, like, he also called his dad daddy, didn't he? Yeah. That's a, De- I, that's a Detroit thing. That's a I Christian just, Slater thing. I really think it's, like, um, the level of vulnerability that he showed his dad is, like, why 
it's like and reflected in like what he called his dad. He called him daddy because of like, oh, I'm telling to you about this really deep, dirty secret, and now you're saying you're going to protect me. Thank you, daddy. You know, kind of like that situation. I think you're right, though. It does show like kind of a, a vulnerability from him being this father figure that was never in his life. So he calls him daddy. Um, the other thing that I we missed is um, well, not missed, but the the whole line from walking about like, you know, there's 17 tells when men lie and 20 tells when women lie. And then when he shoots him, he's like, I haven't killed someone since 1984. Yeah. Like he's just so angry that he had to do this. Um, all like I don't know. I just want to say because like all that shit was good. Of the stuff the- that I can say from that scene, that was right. the good stuff. Right. Um, what about Sicilians? Um, the other thing is that we, I think one of the biggest downfalls of this movie is that we never see Christopher Walken again. That's true. I, I, he did walk out of that the movie. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. I um, I don't know. I I think like as we we're saying earlier, I like that all these people just came in for one scene and like knocked it out of the park, right? Like Hopper no, but, came in. For- but Big Don and and Hopper, you know, makes sense because they die. But you had a great opportunity to bring back. Do you really Hawking. think a big boss like that is like, I'm going to fucking travel to California and handle the dirt myself? Or he's like, no, I'm going to send guys to go do it. I guess you're right. I'm sorry. I'm surprised, I... I'm surprised he was even in that mobile home near the airport or near the railroad tracks. You know what I mean? Like they dirtied himself up for that. It's, I also have to, you know, call out the, the locations for this whole movie. His apartment being connected to the billboard. His dad being on this railroad track where trains are continuously passing the gas station slash telephone booth when they're traveling to california um all the hotels all the hotels are so cool uh dick's uh michael rapaport's apartment place is like it's its own little thing no one location looks the same everything is so vastly different what about the couch at the airport too couch at the airport was it just like they were like when he was i don't even yeah, remember what, i do yeah, there remember was a, there was a couch at the airport when he was fixing her up after gandolfini beat the shit out of her it was like oh. right next to the airplanes like landing and i remember thinking at the scene man i would hate being here because i have noise sensitivity issues and i would like cry with all the loud noises that is I mean, very christian loud slater christian slater <laughs> hated it too i um I was like, how did that couch get there? And when Alon, when you were just like, what couch are you talking about? It's such a weird scene that I was like, questioned myself. Maybe he's right. Maybe there was no fucking couch. I don't know. <laughs> it is um, weird out of context. Speaking of maybe there was no couch, him, I don't know if he's schizophrenic or hallucinating Elvis, but it kind of questions this. Is he hallucinating her too? Like, is all this just one big fever dream from him? Okay, no. okay, it was all a dream. So, it doesn't Did you read that on the internet? No, I was just thinking about that because because it was a question that one of my sister in laws brought up is that if he's if he's imagining Elvis, what else is he imagining from this? The sex scene is just him jerking off. <laughs> <laughs> it's just jerking off in the in the telephone booth. <laughs> 
One thing I want to say about the sex scene is, uh, I don't know, Mint, if you've seen, have you seen Top Gun? Uh, yes, I have. That sex scene is like, and so Tony Scott did both movies. It's like exactly like the Top Gun one, except this one's like a rated R version where we can see more. But like ah. the way it's backlit with like the weird lighting and like you can just see them in silhouette almost for most of it. I was like, Tony Scott has a sex scene style like early in his career. The way it's cut, though, is different, too, since we're talking about the sex scene. Uh, the way it was cut, it's like they're they're writhing in bed together. And then it's a hard cut to like just one of them. And then it's back to that, like them having sex. And then it's another hard cut to the other of them, like sitting up in bed. I don't know. It was like oddly cut. Just like def- the Top Gun one. I, def- <clears throat> I definitely think it was like cut fast. Which I like. Like, I'm not a big fan of movies that have, like, a sex scene that just lingers. I'm like, yeah, I get it. They're having sex. Yeah. This is, like, just quick enough for me to really care about it. Yeah, I, I agree with that, too. I think it was, like, a, t- a tasteful sex scene. But then when it has the one in the phone booth after he's gets off the phone with Michael Rappaport, um, that one is quick, too. But it also establishes... Like they're they're literally in the honeymoon phase of their relationship and it hasn't gotten all to shit. Um, I mean, I, I hope, right, they're still in the honeymoon phase because they've only been married for like a day at that point. So they really should have waited to get married for at least like six months. Uh, but they're they wanted to rush. Who yeah. might tell them what to do? Man, wouldn't I mean, it have been bad, though, if, like, they rushed into this thing and then she found out he was an insane killer and then she didn't like that? Awkward. That would have been weird. <laughs> so next we have, we need to offload this Coke. And I guess it's $500,000 worth of Coke, so they're trying to sell it for two hundred. They figure that's a deal for someone. And um, they get this Elliot guy who is like a friend of Dickie's. I guess he's in his acting class. <laughs> I, I love that they're like, where are we going to meet this guy? Fucking Alabama's just like, well, how about a roller coaster? And they're like, yeah, how about a roller coaster? Let's just do that. One thing I read is that, so that it took two days to film that. And Michael Rappaport apparently had like motion sickness and they didn't know that. So on the first, like on the first day, he was like looking like he was going to get sick the whole time. And so on the second day, they gave him like a a Xanax or something. And so if you watch that scene back closely, it cuts to the different days of shooting. And in like, you can see the first day ones where it looks like he's going to throw up. And then the second day ones where it looks like he's just completely out of it. Like, this is awesome. Um, I was wondering, I was wondering how many times they had to shoot that scene to get all the shots for the, for the roller coaster. I was uh, watching with a friend who, gave me some back uh, behind the scenes tidbits like that said the same exact thing about uh michael rapaport having to be drugged out and i honestly think that his like uh his his emotion like his feeling sick and also being drugged out of uh like being out of it really helped with the delivery of the scene like helped like like oh yeah so this guy is really anxious and it's being reflected within the acting, but the acting's like based on a human emotional thing that the actor himself is feeling separate from the character. And I really like that. I, I, 
that's so funny that Michael Rappaport is the one who gets motion sickness in this, though, because because uh, Elliot is the one who like <laughs> hates roller coasters. If I hated roller coasters as much as Elliot did, I don't know why I would agree to meet this drug deal on a roller coaster. I think because I don't know, it's his job to see if he can get this coke at a cheap price for his boss. So, well, and also too at the beginning of that scene when they jump on the roller coaster uh rapaport's like oh man this is gonna be fun <laughs> which is then he like looks like he's either gonna throw up or just looks like he's drugged out um i like the scene where right after this elliot calls his boss and his boss is like what the fuck are you doing calling me about drugs like on my phone and then clarence takes over and starts doing this whole back and forth about a movie like using these coded words and it's like a good way of like dr. clarence dr Shivago. Yeah, anyway, it's a good way for Clarence to build this rapport of like, you can trust me with these drugs because I'm not going to I'm not going to screw this up. Like, I'm not going to draw attention to us and get us busted for this. I know this is jumping ahead a little bit, but when they do finally meet. um, uh, What's his face? Lenny? No. What's. uh, What's the guy who's buying the drugs name? Uh, Lee. Lee, thank you. Um, when they finally meet Lee and he is like, he gave him that fake story, right? About how it was a cop who found this in evidence and who like found an opportunity to get it out of evidence. Um, he was like, well, if you don't know anyone and you had to go through Elliot to get to me, why did the cop trust you to do it? And I was thinking like, up, oh, they got him. They got him there. And uh, he was like, I, I, I just lied. And then I was like, oh, my God, that's perfect. <laughs> of course. I was just being so honest. And the honesty, like, shed his wall. And I was like, wow. I'm really surprised at how well that worked. Like, I wasn't yes. expecting it to work at all. No. No. I, on- I honestly felt like it almost, they wrote themselves in a corner. And then Quentin was like, well, what if he just lied? It's like, yeah. You know what? You know, this reminds me of something where I thought they wrote themselves into a corner. I guess, I guess it still works that way. So at the and we're at the scene you were just talking about. So we'll go back in a second. But we're at that scene already. No, we didn't really talk about. I know. I said we'll go back in a second. I'm saying you're the one who just okay. brought us here. Okay. I'm not yelling. I'm not yelling. No one's yelling. <laughs> but. So when they go to do the drug deal at the very end, which is like he get to do that drug deal and there's like 18 minutes left. I was like, damn, this is gonna be quick. And then like the actual shootouts, like with 10 minutes left in the movie. Um, But he brings a gun and Lee has security guards and the security guards are like, you know, we got to pat you down. And he's like, yo, I got this gun, but I'm not really going to give it up. And then Lee comes out and he tells the security guards just to fuck off. And the guy's like, yeah, or Clarence says, hey, I have a gun. I can put it on the table if you want. And Lee's like, nah, man, I don't care. Whatever. It's fine. But it, it felt like, and they need Clarence to have the gun because Alabama uses it at the end. Yeah. But it felt like they were like, hey, we have these security guards here, but we also need Clarence to have a gun. Why would the security guards allow him to have a gun? And so they had to make a whole big deal about it, about why he was allowed to have the gun. Cause they were like, when writing it, they're like, all right, but why is he allowed to have the gun? Like you could see the strings of like them writing themselves out of that predicament, like in the movie. Yeah. 
which is fine. But like, I don't know. It like caught me up. I was like, they, they really want you to know this. Um, I so really, I really it, like the tension it like within that scene because I always think that like he's not going to be able to get his gun at all. And then like this movie does this a lot, like builds up the tension and then like it releases the tension, whether it's like good or bad results. Like in this case, it's like good. Like, oh, yeah, you can have the gun. It's like, really? Wow. I was really expecting something bad to happen. <laughs> Maybe something else will bad will happen in like 10 minutes. And it does. It does. And I think I think the movie does that purposely to keep you on your toes about what is going to happen like you think maybe that's what they did it back to like when james gadolfini confronts brad pitt and asks him where are they and he says and he says the safari motel and then you see that the motel is called the safari inn maybe you're supposed to think at the audience like oh sweet he gave him the wrong name there's no way he's gonna show up and so everything is like peaches and cream when Christian Slater's like, all right, Alabama, I'm going to go and you stay at the hotel and she's being all sexy. And then when she walks through the door and he's there, you are like, oh, shit. And the fact that Alabama doesn't lose her cool. She's just like, I thought she thought that she he was the, the drug buyer at first. Right. Um because how cool she was acting. But I think she knew what kind of shit she was in. And she was just like, I'm going to play this as cool as possible. He had a sh- didn't he have a shotgun? She still played it as cool as possible. I mean, she didn't freak out. She just, and she was like, yeah, bye-bye. And he's like, are you Alabama? And are we waiting on Clarence? And she's like, I don't know who those people are, sir. Like, she played it maybe too cool. Yeah, I, I think, like, obviously she knew something bad was happening. And she was like, this is, like, you know, I have to play it cool, right? As you kept saying. I also like that you used the term peaches and cream earlier when they talked about how she tasted like a peach. And I've never heard you use the term peaches and cream before in your life since I've known you. Um, <laughs> but it's, she, uh, yeah, I was trying to match the tone of the movie with the review. Come on. You did, but it was also disgusting. Thank you. But I... Um, I think she sees this guy who's a menacing guy holding a shotgun and she's like, this is, this is bad. And you like, but we know she's streetwise, right? Like she's dealt with a lot of shit in her life. I mean, she left Tallahassee to come to Detroit for some reason. So like, obviously things weren't good in Florida. And then now she's been with a pimp for, she says four days, but could have been a lot longer. So like, I think she knows like, I have to string this along it seems like it, like we're at this scene, so let's just talk about it. But it seems like she's like, I got to keep this going until Clarence comes and saves me. And the yep. movie, like as you said, meant is like the tension in this scene is, I think, at its its highest. And the whole time you're just like, how is she going to get saved? Because you got to figure she's going to like this isn't going to be her demise. Like it could be, I guess. But like they keep showing like, oh, he's, Clarence is going to go get burgers. Oh, he's oh. talking to this random guy. Oh, he's taking his sweet ass time to get back. Yeah. And like the whole time you're like, how is she going to, and I really liked that she was able to save herself and finally like kill him. Yes. I saw the scene at the very beginning. I was like, okay, she's going to die immediately. She's like frailer. She's a, she's frail as heck. And she's like, getting all beat up but i applaud her for how much she can get beat up and then like she's trying to find an upper hand and 
as as soon as she finds an upper hand, I'm like, oh wow, uh, the 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 entirety of the movie is just like shifted, like in the, in this scene, like the power has like shifted from like the drug dealers to uh, Alabama. I'm like, oh, she's gonna get out of this just fine. Like I really like her, like beating against the guy like she's covered in blood and like oh I, like she's got a bunch of blood in her hair i yeah. thought that was a nice like t- uh touch because it's like oh wow she really is crazy each, <laughs> each thing that she does each move that she has makes me think she's even more crazy and i love it <laughs> i think when you have a scene like this where maybe you go into it knowing that she can't die and you think Christian Slater's going to come in and save her is the only way of getting out of this unless somehow she gets out of it herself. And like David was saying, I think they did a brilliant job cutting back and forth from her situation to Christian being just like, Hey, yeah, man, I'll take like, uh, those cheeseburgers. No, not those cheeseburgers. Those like really like, Oh my God. Um, dialogue. And when she finds the corkscrew, I think that's when the paradigm shifts because he even gets too cocky and he's like, yeah, I'll give you one free shot. And man, she takes that shot by planting that corkscrew through his foot. Yeah. And then he kind of goes crazy too. He's got this like want to play with daddy line, like, okay. And he's like, at this point, because she's injured him, he's not like, I'm not just going to shoot you. Like I'm going to, I'm going to kill you with my bare hands. One, like this is kind of, it's like, a fucked up attention to detail, but I thought it was like pretty interesting is he tells her, you know, she lies first. She's also like, my husband's coming home. He plays football. <laughs> she was like, okay, but he tells her to turn around and then he's like, no, turn the other way. And like the reason he tells her to turn the other way is so he can punch her when she turns and he needs her to turn that way because he's going to punch her with his right hand. Oh, and there's like such attention to detail to that little thing. I was like, that's like, I don't know. It just, you so can, it's he, hard to say I liked it, but like, I just noticed it and I was like, appreciated it. So he wanted her to turn into the punch. Correct. Yeah. Yes, and okay. turn into the, into the right hand. Yeah. Got it. Um, That's a detail that, I didn't notice. I thought like maybe like she turned around and then was like oh maybe he punched her too hard maybe she he meant to punch her in the back of the head but yeah that makes sense human instinct it's also like you don't know his deal right the only other scene we've seen him in is him talking to brad pitt and then before that him standing behind dennis hopper menacingly so we don't know if he's like uh like is he going to sexually assault her? Like we kind of don't understand the paradigm of his motivation of like how much of a psycho is this guy? So we, for me, at least I feared like, Oh, is this like that kind of, that kind of scene. Right. And then when it turned out, he was like, Hey, I'm here for a job. It's to just kill you and then get your, uh, get your husband and find the Coke. It was just like, Oh, I don't know. It just it it was a for a guy who had such a little time on screen. It was such an interesting character. I felt like that that was really fleshed out in those three moments we had with him. Yeah, I um, I think we can move on now. So we already talked about Elliot getting caught with the coke. 
I think the best casting of the movie is you have two piece of shit cops. Who are we going to get for that? Chris Penn and Tom Sizemore. Yeah. I think it's like they're perfect in those roles and it like the way it plays out in the end with them. Um, Tom Sizemore apparently was originally supposed to have the James Gandolfini role. And he then took this instead. Um, But they're great as the uh, like in that in their parts back then they almost kind of look like brothers like they could have been brothers just like overweight white guys who like <laughs> yeah who look like they party a little too hard yeah are looks you like their brother they, looks like they broke into the coke a little bit <laughs> um I, I love too that they're just like we don't give a fuck how this happens we just want credit for the bust and they're like okay that's great guys like let's do it my favorite part of the movie is coming up is when they have Elliot. Um, they have him wired up and they're talking him through it. Although I don't think they could hear him, right? They could hear what's going. They could hear him, but he can't hear them. So when they're with the elev in the elevator or before they're in the lobby and they're coming up and he's like, all right, Elliot, he's like talking himself up. He's like, all right, Elliot, you're an actor. So act. And <laughs> Your motivation is to not go to jail. Yeah. (laughs) Where Chris Penn and Tom Sizemore are just like, hold it together, man. Hold it together. And then Clarence is cracking jokes and they're laughing and they're like, oh, I love this guy. This guy, Clarence, is is hilarious. I I love Clarence. (laughs) Well, well, and what's funny, too, is like later on, they're like, oh, you know, we just have him on possession. We don't have him on distribution. I was like, well, that's not really true. And then you realize... They actually don't give a shit about getting Clarence. They want to get Lee because that's the bigger bust. That's yeah. the bigger name. So it's like them like, oh, man, I love this guy. Like, it, it's just it kind of all works. Um, so the mobsters go to Floyd because uh, originally I was like, I don't understand how how they're going to find where they're going. And then Floyd giving them directions. It's just like, well, you take a, a left out of here. And because you think about it too, like in 1993, like there's not even like MapQuest, right? Like you get a fucking hat. You just have to know where places are, like how to get places. Um, but the directions were funny. And I love the line too when Clarence is walking into the hotel and Dickie's like, What the fuck are you bringing a gun for? And he's like, uh, You know, after, you know, after all of this, it's better to have a gun and not need it than to need a gun and not have, have it, it, which yeah. turns out to be true. Um, and then we get to this final scene. I, um, I don't understand why Lee has basically like these fucking mercenaries, like three guys with machine guns guarding him at all times. I found that to be a little bit weird and it kind of just like came out of place for me. Like it just came all of a sudden like, oh, wow, these guys have machine guns and they don't want to listen to Lee. That's a problem. Yeah, that that too. Thing. Like they don't listen That's to the their books. <laughs> yeah, and 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 all of a sudden he, they're given like a a backstory. He's like something you don't know about me, Lee. I fucking hate cops. And I'm like, we don't need to know this about you at all, random person we met five seconds ago. Yeah. By the way, Alon. Uh, so uh, earlier today, Alon and I were talking about. Um, we're thinking we've planned ahead our, our months so much, but we were like, Oh, we should do Quentin. We should do just like Quentin Tarantino's like favorite movies. Cause, and did you notice Christian Slater's like fucking the good, the bad and the ugly real, real Bravo. Bravo. Those are real movies. And it's like, those are just Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies. Yeah. Ah. Um, 
and he does say that like obviously like the finding coke and finding a girl and going on a cross-country thing is like not him but he's he said a lot of the rest of the movie is like sort of autobiographical like about him he's like this is kind of him as a character um that's pretty so yeah so we get this final shootout and first of all lee with like the best performance like of just like you stabbed me in the fucking heart i treated you like a son he then throws liquid on to elliot and then tom sizemore is like you bastard and just kills a guy for throwing liquid on somebody and starts this shootout. I think he just wanted an excuse to start a shootout, honestly. That yeah, that 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 does ring true to me. And it's also like why he dies immediately and it's why also, he's like It's also Tom Sizemore. So That's true too. That's just kind of who he is as yeah. a as an actor. Like the characters he plays, this is all always him. Um oh, and then just everyone gets all, shot. Yeah. Right before everyone gets shot, uh, you were talking about the the heart uh, like heart wrenching moment of you were like a son to me. That like got me in the gut. I felt that in the gut. Like I was like, oh man, this is sad. Dang it. Well, I think that's funny because when that happens, Patricia Arquette, Alabama, is writing "You're so cool" on a napkin, and then hands it to Clarence when he comes back. And then Clarence kind of laughs at it. And I kind of wonder in the camera shot, we we saw her write, you're so cool. But I wonder what Patricia Arquette actually wrote when she handed it to Clarence to make Christian Slater laugh like that. I, I, I don't think it's the same thing. And then he goes to the bathroom for the majority of the gunfight. To um, talk so to Elvis. To talk to Elvis. Uh, but he misses that, though. Right, Mint? He, like, that heart-to-heart between you were like a son to me, he just is in the bathroom for that yeah. entire part. Yeah. Uh, I wish he, I wish he got that, honestly. Just, like, honestly, I think the bathroom was the best part for him. I, fi- I found it really hilarious that, like, he's in the bathroom having a nice little chat with Elvis, as you do, and, like, all of his loved ones are in the other room in between a bunch of guns. <laughs> and and it's like uh okay uh, all your dad is dead uh, you'd have a lot more people dead this is all your fault can you just give up the coke please I'm he, just well, he doesn't he doesn't even know his dad is dead at this point i don't think that's true he doesn't and he might, he might never learn that honestly he doesn't they don't seem to talk that much that's true that's sad and he goes to cancun right after but What's funny is, um, and I'm I'm really happy about this. Michael Rappaport gets away. He finds an exit and he just fucking guns it. So when, so first of all, he throws up the suitcase as a diversion. They shoot it. I didn't even notice this, but apparently there's a dare sticker, say no to drugs sticker on the briefcase of cocaine. Um, <laughs> and earlier, right before they go to this, Michael Rappaport gets a call. He got the part. He then is like about to say something to Clarence, like, "Hey." Almost like I don't want to go do this anymore because like things are looking up for me, and he decides to go, and I was like, "Oh, he's dead," and then he lives. I was like, "They like they played on the trope of like setting up like, oh, this is going to be this heart wrenching death that's going to yeah. like affect you at the end," and they're just like, "Nah, he lives," and I I like that it kind of did a switch up on that. Um, so there's two cops left, and then there is one Sicilian guy. <laughs> 
<laughs> like they say something to him and he speaks back in like a in you know a Sicilian or Italian, I don't know. And they're like, oh fuck, it's fucking Italian. And then he starts uh Chris Penn starts doing a bad chef boy RD Italian accent at the guy. <laughs> like for no reason. So the other cop gets shot, then it's just Chris Penn, and he's the only cop left. And you have Alabama over here who's tending to what we think is a dead Clarence. Yeah. And this is another time where you think, like, I can kind of see, like, the movie written a little bit too cutely. They're like, all right, so how are they going to get away, right? So Clarence lives, which apparently was a Tony Scott decision. Quentin Tarantino wanted Clarence to die. And Tony Scott was like, honestly, I can't let them die because I like them too much. After doing this whole movie, I, like, I just want to see them get away. And Tarantino's like, okay, fine. And he said afterwards, like, in a Tony Scott movie, it makes sense. In my movie, Clarence would have died. So then you just have Chris Penn is the only person left. And at this point, Chris Penn's kind of been a piece of shit. But then he just goes and executes a guy. <laughs> He's a police officer and he just goes and kills a guy. Um, and then something we haven't seen from Alabama this entire time, but she's just a fucking great shot. Don't know where this came from. But she shoots him in the side of his vest that's open right there. Yeah. Like, pretty well done. I have to say, back to the Sicilian... I think it's pretty, pretty genius. They see him with a shotgun. He throws the shotgun over and then he pulls out two extra guns. I think that's pretty. That's a good. You always have to always have to have extra guns. Smart. It almost seemed like Chris Penn died of a misunderstanding because when he goes to execute the guy, it almost feels like Alabama feels like she's in danger. So she she shoots Chris Penn. I think she shoots him because she thinks that he's the one that shot Clarence. Like oh well yeah okay so that that's also a misunderstanding because i don't think he is the one who shot clarence yeah i i missed who shot clarence because i was like oh he got shot but the reason i think it's written like the the too cutely a little bit is like all right so how do we get them out of here right because there's police swarming everywhere so first you have to have everyone else in this hotel room die besides dickie who ran off so now they're the only two and then how are they going to walk out of this hotel with this dude's apparently missing an eye and he's bloody. Oh, you have to have one of the Sicilian guys holding a hostage downstairs so that they can slip out. And once again, like I liked it, but it's like you can see the machinations of like, we got ourselves into this situation where we want them to live. How do we get out of it? It's not even like they didn't see them. Like they ran right past three cops coming up the stairs. Like they... Within he's, he's got blood coming out. Yeah, but he's on the other side of her, so it's fine. I guess um, one thing you mentioned, David, is the score. Um, you mentioned this off screen, but you mentioned how much you love the score of this movie being kind of a tropical vibe, which also foreshadows like where the movie heads. Right. But it's like it's got these like tropical notes throughout as they're in Detroit. It's freezing. And then first we head to sunny California. Steel drum. We had the coconuts. And then we had and then we head to Mexico. Like so I like. I just enjoyed it, but also the fact that it foreshadows where the movie's leading to is also great. I really like the parts. Uh, speaking of the score, where there's like a lot of the action violent parts, is like where the score is like really bumping. It's it's really high paced versus yeah. like more of the emotional parts. It's like especially where we have Alabama tending to Clarence. And like, oh, is Clarence dead? Um, not sure. Like, we have this like really like sad, like almost ethereal 
just like sto- uh, like chords just underneath. And it's like, oh, this is really sad. And also at that Clarence scene where Clarence is like dead, I, how did he survive that bullet wound, uh, bullet to the head? Like, how did he survive that? I think it was like, I think it's side glanced and just took out his eye is what we're supposed to believe. I, okay, so the bullet is like, the bullet hole is like above his eye. And the way the movie said it is that it missed his brain, but hit the optic nerve. That's what Alabama says in the narration. Um, hmm. But I think that's kind of where you see the Tony Scott Quentin Tarantino bullet is does it miss his brain or does it miss his eye and kill him? Right. That's like the Tarantino Scott sort of uh, dichotomy dichotomy about it. Do you think if he do you think if he died that she names her son Clarence instead of Elvis? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Right. Yes. Has to be something that Mint said all the way in the beginning. And now that I think about it, it's kind of perfect. So Mint, you said that Alabama's always looking ahead and Clarence is still think like stuck in the past, like thinking about the past. Yeah. And if you think about the fact that you hear like tropical elements in the score when it comes to whenever Alabama's in the scene, because it's only when Alabama's in the in the shot is you hear like the steel drums and the bongos that's to looking forward to what we then find out is Cancun at the end of the movie. But Clarence being obsessed with Elvis, who is a dead person in the past, it's kind of like his representation that he likes the music that's in the past, but then her representation for the score is always to the future. Ah, you know, I never really noticed that actually. It's good. I just got, I just, I made it up. No, but um, that's that's how I took it, at least. It's very eloquent, actually. I can be smart, David. I swear to God. I believe, like, I'm props. I give Impressed? you props. Impressed. So, um, there are some alternate. I already mentioned the Tom Sizemore thing. Um, Quentin Tarantino wanted, uh, this is alternate casting. I started to say it and then I just drifted off. But yeah, we're doing alternate, alternate casting right now. So Quentin Tarantino wanted Robert Carradine and Joan Cusack to play Clarence and Alabama. I don't really like, obviously I know Carradine of the Carradine family, but I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen him in anything where I've like placed him. I don't think either. So I mean, but this would have been it. Um, Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore was offered (laughs) the role. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing there. Drew Barrymore was Drew Barrymore was offered the role of Alabama, but she couldn't do it. Uh, Tony Scott considered Bridget Fonda, Diane Lane, Keir Sedgwick, and Julie Roberts. I um, I think Patricia Arquette is like perfect in this role. Like, and she's also like, I don't know, she just plays it so well. She's like super attractive in this role as this character. Like, I, I would, she has the right energy for it. Like, I don't, yeah. it, it's always hard to imagine someone else. Although in a lot of like movie reviews, we've been like, no, they would have been great. But she is perfect for someone who I've never really like considered like, oh, I'd want her. She's not like an actress that I've like, oh, I'm like a huge fan of hers, but she's like perfect in this role. There's apparently a deleted scene where Jack Black is in it. I guess he's like a, a movie attendant in the Ooh. like movie theater in the beginning. Um, 
and that's about it. Really? I watched oh, the director's cut. One fun, one actually pretty fun fact. It's a deleted scene that wasn't included in the director's cut. What do you want from me? Okay. Man. So, um, Harvey Weinstein was still involved with Quentin Tarantino at this time, and he told Warner Brothers that he thought Christian Slater was too good looking to play the Clarence character. So Warner Brothers told Harvey Weinstein to fuck off and like basically fired him off of the project. Hmm. And so then like Harvey Weinstein went to um, Tarantino and was like, you and me have to like work together on. So that's like how they had this relationship after that. But I just love Warner Brothers with the foresight to tell Harvey Weinstein to go fuck himself. Um, that like just a cool fact. Way to go, WB. You do some things right. Um, overall, I like, so I think Tarantino considers this like highly, like one of his favorite things that he's been a part of. It's awesome as all Tarantino things are. I think, um, I was thinking earlier, so the, the amalgamation of like a Tony Scott directed movie written by Quentin Tarantino, it kind of reminds me of like how the social network is directed by Fincher, but written by Sorkin. Yeah. Like it's just an interesting like thing when you have two people that are really great at like what they do. Like Tarantino like is obviously a great director, but I think like the thing he's known for is his writing and his scripts. For sure. Like when you go into a Tarantino movie, those are the things that stick with you. So having him like writing it and then like a Tony Scott directed film, it's just like a cool artifact that we have. So like, even if this isn't like my favorite Tarantino thing, it's still just awesome. It's like I'm glad it exists, and it was it was great to go back to. Mint, what was your uh, what's your f- overall thought from the movie? So uh, I actually enjoyed this a lot. The more that this movie like kind of uh, it spun off of my expectations. Like, there's a lot of moments, for example, where I was like, okay, so. Because of this movie is like this, maybe the movie's gonna go like this, and it actually doesn't. It does like kind of <clears throat> the movie kind of does like the opposite of what you're expecting it is going to do, and because of this, I enjoy the movie and all of its twists. And honestly, the the I mentioned this a lot earlier. Uh, the tension, the tension really makes the movie for me. Because, like, if there was, like, no tension, then I wouldn't care at all about any of these characters. So I really like the movie a lot. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, you know, I haven't watched it when I suggested us doing it. And as I was watching it, and I was seeing the reaction from my wife and my sister-in-laws, I was like, oh, shit, maybe she won't like this movie. Because it's not, I can see why it's not for everyone. Um, but I'm, but as I was watching it and then, you know, watching kind of your reactions to your other reviews, the other movies you've watched, I was like, oh no, I think Mint's going to like this one. I think, I think she is definitely, um, when I watch this, I, I, I do have to say like the title kind of threw me off. Like I'm, I wasn't really in the mood for that kind of movie of whatever true romance was going to be. Um. And then as I was watching it, I think the beginning is so different from what the movie turned out to be that if you can like stick through the beginning to the other side 
and you're like, oh, Quentin Tarantino and stuff like if you like Quentin Tarantino stuff, then the movie has a really big payoff. And then I ended up like really liking it a lot. And the fact that it is kind of weird, I like it even more because of the Elvis stuff, because of the just the weird implications and the and the weird details. I, I just think that movie, it makes the movie like so much more unique. So, Mint, thanks for coming on and talking about true romance with us. Thank you for having me on. Uh, where can our fellow listeners find you, follow you? So I do daily movie reviews every day, 7 p.m. ET, uh, youtube.com slash ASC Presents. It's a series called Mint Salad Sauce. And if you want to see if I've reviewed a movie, you can just search, uh, search in the YouTube search bar, Mint Salad Saw, and then whatever movie. And I do movie review requests on patreon.com slash ASC Presents. And I have some spicy sites on my link tree, my link tree, linktr.ee slash Titsman Salad. So you can find me there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I, at first I, I, uh, I found you on Twitter um because of your i think very famous star wars review yes twitter.com slash autistic boobs forgot to plug that one uh how has exactly like the dichotomy of your life has changed since that star wars review video kind of hit uh well i bought a car off of it and i just got back from a month-long road trip just traveling meeting up with people making content with people and then i guess it's it's a lot it's a lot of the same daily grind i guess i've been doing it for 421 days straight as of this recording so it just makes me more inspired to keep on doing the content honestly because it's like oh wow all this hard work and then like this super low effort video like i literally just put like put the my phone on like a whiteboard that was leaning against the wall and then started screaming at it and like this is what gets it the attention yeah. <laughs> so like i just think it's like a it, it's it's a accumulation accumulation of like uh my learning talking skills because i started in salad saw because i never really talked that much and i needed an excuse to speak words let it all out yeah but i really i really like the fact that you do a daily movie review too and that you took the time to like watch a movie that we chose and spend like you know this is this is actually one of our longer episodes in a while because i think we all really like the movie so i do really appreciate that you like took the time to like join us on this because this was a lot of fun Quentin Tarantino wrote this movie. This was a, I was like, I gotta watch it. I gotta. It was a good movie choice. Well, maybe we can bring you back for um, Natural Born Killers. Natural Born Killers is another one he wrote, right? So he actually, we're, we're at the end, but he actually, so uh, Quentin Tarantino has a podcast with his friend Roger Avery. Roger Avery wrote like a 50-page treatment for like a, a thing like this. Quentin Tarantino helped work on it and it turned into like this 500 page behemoth behemoth thing. Half of that was true romance and the other half was natural born killers. So they actually like kind of connect a little bit. I don't, that's what I read. I don't understand it because I haven't seen natural born killers. So, but yeah, that's like definitely one that we now have to do 
Um, so thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And this is Mint. And we finally watched True Romance.